So I, I'm really glad to be here, and I am want to welcome a couple special folks that are here today too. I have some family and close friends on the front row. I hear I have Angela and my son-in-law Bill. Back in the back, I have um, Darlene's sister and our brother-in-law Ed and Rhoda Mack. And somewhere, yeah, here's my good friend Johnny Signs over here, which we haven't seen in a while because of the COVID. Matthew, I'm going to move your paperwork out of the way. Okay, thanks. So, as Heather said, uh, my name is John. If I haven't met you, it's my loss. And I am, I am not the normal pastor or any pastor of this church. And I want to welcome not only you folks, but those that are watching online, the millions of people out there in the internet land. <laughs> Probably not this week. Um, you know, I, I kind of like those big, solid wood pulpits that you see on TV, because you can kind of hide behind them. There's nothing up here. <laughs> Believe me, there's nothing up here. Trust me, there's nothing up here. So I think we better pray. Father, it's just you and me up here on this stage. You lead, and I'll follow. I'm your servant. I am so grateful for what you've done for me, for my testimony, for my healing, and I'm grateful and honored to be able to tell my story today, our story, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Okay, well, happy 4th of July, and tomorrow we celebrate our 246th Independence Day, signing of the Declaration of Independence. Now, I'd like to talk to the grandparents just for a moment. Um, I, I need you grandparents to tell your grandkids that there's more to 4th of July than setting off fireworks in your driveway or lighting sparklers. There's a whole lot more. Um, a long time ago, over 25,000 Americans died in the Revolution War, American Revolution War for our freedom. It was a war to separate us from Britain, and they fought and died for us. So tell your grandkids, I'm not quite sure what they're teaching in schools nowadays, tell your grandkids, do a little research on Google, like I did, and uh, tell your grandkids about it. Those of you that homeschool, I'm not worried about you, because I'm sure you tell your kids, but anyway. So before I get started, um, I have a couple things to, a couple questions to ask you folks. Um, how many of you would rather be here today than the best hospital in the country? Yeah, yeah. Well, me too. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. Now, Darlene says, my wife Darlene, Darlene says that's an old joke, John. I know, but I like it. I'm an old guy, and I like that, <laughs> I like that old joke. Okay. So the second question I want to ask you, has anyone ever gone to your pastor and asked if you could stand up in front of your church all by yourself with bright lights, and believe me, they are bright, um, and give your testimony? Yeah, no, I didn't think so. Um, 
In other words, public speaking. Well, that's what I did. Yeah, I know. What was I thinking? Crazy. Not because I like public speaking or I like to be up front, but because what God did for me was so amazing that I want to tell everyone who will listen. You see, God healed me from an incurable terminal lung disease. When I asked Rich if I could share my testimony, first of all, I need to tell you one thing. They always tell you, never start a talk with an apology. That's, you're not supposed to do that. So I'm not going to apologize that I have to read my sermon from my notes. I'll actually tell you a secret. Every speaker I know has their notes. Some of the large uh, churches on TV, they have a teleprompter. Everybody, most other people have notes, either paper, their tablet, laptop. The difference is, like Rich, um, the difference is they can read from their notes and you don't hardly notice it. I mean, they're so polished, they're so good. Um, I, I'm not there yet, I'm not that person, so today I am going to be reading a lot. I'm not gonna get too far away, it's kinda like a tether hooked to my notes, and because I, I don't wanna lose my place. And uh, so anyway, but I'm not gonna apologize, okay. So, so when I asked Rich if I could share my testimony, he said, that would be great. And then he said, how would you like to preach on July 3rd and combine your testimony with a sermon? I will be out of town that weekend and I'm looking for someone to fill in for me. So I said, uh, yeah, sure, Rich. <laughs> that, would, that would be great. Well, yeah, I know, crazy. So now committing to speak today is a big deal. Not because of, I might embarrass myself, I've done that lots of times. You get used to that when you get old. Um, but it's a big deal because I'm laying it all out on the line, as they say in Las Vegas. Never been to Las Vegas, but I think that's what they say. <laughs> I'm, putting it, I'm putting it all out there. So it's one thing to tell a friend or some of your family or even your doctor that God has healed you. But it's another thing to go public, even online. It's like saying, all right, God, I trust you completely. I will tell everyone that wants to listen to me what you did for me. So without thinking, when I was talking to Rich, without thinking, I said, I'll speak on faith. So I went home, I told Darlene what had just happened, and started thinking what I had just committed to. For the next few weeks, I tried to think of what I should really talk about. I thought about prayer. You can never go wrong with prayer. I thought about gratitude. I certainly had a lot of things to be thankful for. Um, but I kept coming back to faith, and I knew then that God had put faith in my mind, and that is what he wanted me to speak on. But before I talk a little bit about faith, I'd like to give you a little background of what was going on with me in my body. In May of 2020, I started having trouble breathing. It would hurt when I took a big breath in my upper chest, and I was coughing a lot. I called my doctor, 
And of course, the first thing he wanted me to do was to get tested for COVID. Because as you remember, in May of 2020, COVID was just getting really going. So I got tested. A few days later, found out I was negative. I then went in for my appointment with my doctor. He examined me, but he sent me in for some chest x-rays. I had a chest x-ray on Monday, and on Tuesday morning, I heard two things not very comforting to hear from your doctor's assistant. Number one, the doctor would like to see you as soon as possible. Number two, he has some serious concerns about your health. Uh, these are words you hope you never hear from your doctor. They are not very uplifting. He then had me come in that same day. Another unusual thing. Appointments usually take days, not hours. So I went in that afternoon. He showed me the x-rays and said I had something called intercelestial lung disease, or ILD. He explained that there are over 200 types of ILD um, diseases. So at this point, I'm not too concerned. Um, he then suggested that I make an appointment with a lung specialist, which I did. I found a very good one, works at Peace Health. After talking to him, he scheduled several tests for me. I had breathing tests, which were where you breathe into a computer, and they tell you the numbers. And I had a very difficult time completing this test because I kept coughing. Um, Whenever I take a, you have, you have to take huge, much air as you can out of your lungs and breathe it into this tube. And I couldn't do it hardly because of the coughing. But uh, the nurse was very patient, very said, that's okay, take your time. Um, I also had a more in intensive uh, chest x-ray and an MRI, plus some other tests, blood tests and stuff. So he called me in and explained what might be going on with me. He wanted me, he wasn't quite sure, but he wanted me to have a, a lung biopsy. He told me there were two types of biopsies. One type is not very invasive. Uh, the other type is more invasive, but more accurate. And he asked me which one I wanted. I said, I, I want the one that's more comprehensive, the one that's more accurate. I want to know for sure what's going on. So he. He scheduled me for an appointment. They, I went into the hospital for three days. They took out three chunks of my lung. They sent them to the University of Washington Medical Center. And um, it took a few weeks to find out what was going on. So a few weeks later, I was in my doctor's office. He told me I had evidence of fibrosis or scarring in my lungs. He also told me that I have idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Now, I don't like people um, using big words around me and not explaining what they mean. So, so let me tell you in real simple words uh, what they mean. Idio the word idiopathic means they don't know what caused the disease. That's the medical definition for idiopathic. They don't know what caused it. Pulmonary, of course, is your lungs, and fibrosis is scarring. So that's, that's all it is. That's all it means. And um, 
once you get scarring in your lungs, it's non-reversible. Um, now he explained to me what IPF was, but I didn't hear much after he said there was no cure for it. I would probably die from it. So I do remember one thing, though. He told me, he says, I don't want you to go home and check on the Internet for what you have. He says, don't do that. That's not a good thing. So I, of course, always listened to my doctor, and I went home and I Googled IPF. <laughs> yeah. So that was bad. Uh, that was really bad because the Internet, it doesn't soften anything. It just spits it out at you. Um, it, it, I shouldn't have done it. But here's what I read. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis is a progressive and ultimately terminal disease. Most patients may live three to five years after diagnosis. However, antifibrobic therapies may improve life expectancies. IPF usually progresses steadily, but sometimes it can progress very rapidly, which is called acute acceleration. So this sent me into a downward spiral uh, mentally, and especially the three to five year life expectancy part. I later learned that antifibrobic therapies, now you doctors and nurses are saying, this guy is killing the medical terminology here. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I learned that they were there were two approved medicines that treat this disease, and it doesn't, it just slows it down. It slows the progression down. There's no cure for it. Um, so, and with these medicines, you can actually live a little bit longer. You can live maybe five to 10 years or even longer with these medicines, but that doesn't mean life is good. Um, you still have the disease. It's still gonna affect you and life is not that good. So, even on this medicine, your life quality goes down until your body gives up. Most people with IPF have to start using supplemental oxygen, usually just at night, and then when they exert themselves, and then 24 hours a day. You've maybe seen people walk around with a, a bottle of oxygen and, or on a cart. Because your body is not getting enough oxygen, you are not able to live a normal life. You're, eventually your organs, like your heart, kidneys, and brain, suffer severe damage, and then you die. About six months after being diagnosed, my doctor put me on one of these medicines. It's called OFEV. Uh, two pills a day cost $10,000 a month. That really cut into my coffee allowance, let me tell you. Uh, not really. I, thankfully, we have good insurance. But after being diagnosed with IPF, I learned a lot. Learned a lot about the disease very quickly. The first thing I learned that it is non-curable and terminal. That word "terminal" is a heavy word. Heavy word. Here are the first two definitions in Merriam-Webster dictionary for terminal. Number one: leading ultimately to death, as in fatal as in fatal terminal cancer. Number two, approaching or close to death, being in the final stages of a final disease, a fatal disease, excuse me. The second thing is that there is only 
one known cure for IPF, and that's lung transplants. At least that's what the medical world believes. For the next year, my disease progressed pretty fast, which is not a good sign. My breathing got worse. I got short of breath pretty easy. I had to stop and rest more often. I coughed every morning. I usually took a nap around 10 o'clock every morning because I was so tired. My chest hurt when I took deep breaths and my oxygen saturation level started going down. It was common for me to be down in the mid 80s if I exerted myself at all. I bought one of those finger things like they have in the hospital and, and checked myself. I also had involuntary gasp of air and Darlene can can tell you that really sounded strange and I had no control over it. All of a sudden I'd make this funny sound trying to get air. It was kind of goofy. One Sunday morning uh, before service, the worship team gathered together like they always do right down here in the front and they had prayer and few people prayed and then I prayed out loud. I was working in the back that Sunday. Well, partway through the prayer, I had to stop, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm having a little trouble breathing. I couldn't, I couldn't quite do it. Um, several folks um, gathered around me, laid their hands on me, prayed for me, and it got a little better. I made it through the Sunday morning and was very tired, went home and took a nap. I was okay. So I was limited to what I could do, like play cornhole with my son, my grandson, excuse me, mow the lawn without stopping and resting, and physical work. I was never really big on physical work anyway, so that part wasn't so bad. Now I can get to the good part, okay? In May of 2021, my daughter, Angela, who is very energetic and go-go, um, talked me into going into going to a prayer service in Everett. Now this is probably a good time to tell you a little bit about faith. Okay, I don't want you to think that I was a big faith person. You know, John, the big faith guy. No, not at all. In fact, I had a little. I just had a little bit of faith, a small amount of faith. If I had lived when the book of Hebrews was written. I definitely would not have been included in chapter 11 with all the faith giants, okay? I had just enough faith to go to this service and be prayed for. That's about it. So what is faith? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 11:1, 1, now faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Simply put, the biblical definition of faith is trusting in something you cannot explicitly prove. Luckily, I didn't choose predestination to explain what that is, because that would have been a tough one. Faith is not only believing, but also trusting. When I see a chair in a church like this, I believe that it will support me. But it's not until I sit down in that chair that I trust that that chair is not going to fall, that it's going to support me. So how do we get faith? The Apostle Paul says, faith comes from hearing 
and hearing through the word of Christ. That's in Romans 10:17. Our faith is built up as we hear the gospel preached to us. Faith does not present itself to our five senses. We can't see, hear, touch, smell, feel faith. We don't receive large amounts of faith when we become a Christian. In fact, you can be a Christian most all your life and have very little faith. Now, the Christian church, of course, is built on faith. If um, we believe that Jesus is God and he is a son of God and he was sent to earth to die on the cross for our sins, if we don't believe that, we are not saved. Okay. But a lot of Christians, that is where their faith ends. The Apostle Paul tells Christians to walk by faith and not by sight. That is why Christians need to be constantly reminded of what Christ done for us and what our responses should be. In other words, our faith has to grow. Faith is spread throughout the entire Bible. Rich could preach on faith, a series on faith, and it would probably last all year long. It is from one one front of the book to the back of the book, faith. Now we can all probably name several giants of faith in the Bible. People like Abraham, Sarah, Noah, Moses, David, Gideon, Esther, Joseph, Mary, Peter, and Paul. Not, not Peter, Paul, and Mary. That was a, that was a, fo <laughs> a folk group back in the 60s for you. you. Some of you folks remember that. Okay. Most of these people didn't jump up with excitement when God told them to do something. A lot of these people argued and resisted when God spoke to them. Think of Moses, Peter, others. Okay. Now, Joseph and Mary, they were the exceptions. They did exactly. I love what Mary did and what she said. I'm your servant. So many giants of faith in the Bible, they didn't even have their name recorded, and yet they were giants of faith. Um, one of these giants was a woman who her husband had died, and she could not pay her bills. Her creditor was coming to take her two sons as slave for payment. She cried out to the prophet Elijah, and we read in 2 Kings 4.17 what happened. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go 
sell the oil, pay your debts, you and your sons can live on what is left. Now that's faith. That's uh, putting your faith right out there. Asking your neighbor for jars so you can put oil that you don't have. Someday I hope to meet this giant faith woman in heaven and just uh, sit down and talk to her. So, how does Rich do this easily? Okay. So faith has nothing to do with your status um, in life. It has nothing to do with your name, your heritage, or your standing in the community. But it does have something to do with who you know. And it's okay to name drop when you're talking about this person. His name is Jesus. I mentioned earlier that faith has to grow. Since I was a small child, I heard the parable about the faith of a grain of mustard seed. Now, I need to tell you right here, stop, it's not in my notes because I didn't know this one. Um, I didn't ask Jessica to say anything about the mustard seed fields that she saw. I, I didn't know she, she saw them. Uh, they were, I've seen them in Skagit County and they are just so beautiful. So that was, that was not planned. That was a God direction. Okay, amen to that, yeah. So why did Jesus use a mustard seed, which is the smallest seeds there is in a parable? That's the point. There's nothing special about a mustard seed. I used to think that Jesus literally meant if we had enough faith, he would say maybe, throw Mount Baker into Puget Sound and we'd have a new San Juan Island. Uh, I don't think he meant that literally. I now think he meant that if we have mountains in our lives that seem impossible for us to overcome, that God can help us. Okay. Here's a picture of a mustard seed. You can see how small it is. If, if I was to hold it up, you would not see it. It's that small. So, but it's intended to grow. That little mustard seed right there isn't any good until it grows. And in the right environment, they usually grow pretty fast. Mustard seeds grow into mustard bushes, like Jessica saw uh, this weekend. Mustard bushes reach an average mature height of between 6 and 20 feet, with a 20-foot spread. And then they grow into mustard trees. Okay. These plants can grow into trees reaching 30 feet tall under ideal conditions. And they're a tough, hardy tree. So, right there. That's growing up through a rock. That's a mustard, mustard tree. Yeah. So they grow very hardy, healthy, if they're taken care of just like our faith should do. We are meant to grow. And that's, so here's, here's what the Bible says. Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now here's an interesting part of that verse that, for a long time, I didn't quite catch. It says, you can say, you can say. In other words, I believe you have to say it. 
I don't believe you can just keep something inside of you. Um, we just can't do that. In order for our faith to grow, you have to say it out loud. You have to tell others. So at first, after my healing, I started saying, I think I was healed. I definitely didn't tell very many people, especially anyone who was not a believer. So back to the mustard seed. In another parable, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Okay, now he's switched a little bit. Now he's talking about the kingdom of God. A little tiny mustard seed compared to the kingdom of God. Now that's big. That's huge. And we have a part of that. In other words, we can help the kingdom of God, heaven, to grow here on earth. I just say, wow, that's amazing. Jesus was saying that if you only have the faith of a mustard seed, you can do wonderful things. So like I said, I only had a little bit of faith. Now when Angela asked me to go to this healing service, I was more than a little reluctant because, you see, I was raised in a Pentecostal church, and I knew what went on in these healing services. Yeah. Uh, when I was younger, I saw people like, and you probably don't remember, know her, uh, Catherine Kuhlman and Oral Roberts, um, Pray for the Sick. Also, I am somewhat kind of a quiet, quiet person, and I wasn't sure what would be going on in this prayer service. It turned out to be nothing like, like I thought. It was a great service. They had a guest speaker. So after the speaker spoke, they asked if anyone wanted to come up for prayer. Well, I was planning on going up anyway, but I didn't have much of a choice with Darlene pulling me and Angela pushing me down the aisle. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Angela. I love you. Up front, there were some volunteers lined up across the front of the platform. I looked at the line as I walked up, and I went to the very end of the line on the right side. Perhaps I was subconsciously thinking they put the ones with high energy in the middle and the ones with low energy out on the ends. <laughs> I was definitely looking for someone with low energy. <laughs> Well, as it turned out, again, I had nothing to worry about. I met a couple. I briefly told what was wrong with them. What was wrong with me, I mean. <laughs> that would be bad. That would really be bad, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, I, I did it again. I embarrassed myself again. Okay. So um, I briefly told them what was wrong with me. Um, the man anointed me with oil, gently laid a hand on my shoulder, and said a simple prayer. That's it. Really, that was it. As soon as he finished, Angela, um, she said, Dad, how do you feel? You know, like, okay. And um, I said, well, maybe, I, maybe it's a little easier to breathe. I'm not quite sure, but maybe it's a little easier. She definitely had more faith than I did. Um, I said, well, it's... It was not the kind of healing where you, you've seen people kick their wheelchair off the, off the stage and start running around the church. 
I didn't feel like doing any jumping jacks at that time. So God decided that he would heal me slowly instead of instantly. Perhaps it was my fault. Maybe it was me that I didn't, because I didn't have a whole lot of faith. Remember, I just had a little bit of faith. Whatever the reason, faith started to grow inside of me. God is God, and he can answer our prayers how he sees fit. Because over the next couple of months, Angela kept asking me how I felt and told me to claim my healing. Well, that is hard when you don't see or feel it right away. But I started to claim it anyway. I started to feel better, a lot better. Several months went by, and I made an appointment with my lung specialist. I told him that I had been prayed for, and I thought I had been healed. This was probably the first time I said this to anyone outside my family. It was a big deal. I also asked him if he would schedule some more tests for me. This was another big step, because now I was putting my healing to a physical test where numbers don't lie. I really had to exercise my faith. I prayed, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Well, a few days after the test, I met with my doctor again. He told me my numbers showed an improvement, and he said that my feeling better could be a temporary condition. He said he wanted to see me again in a few months. Now, I was still taking that special medicine called OFEV, and every month, a nurse from back east would call me before they would refill my prescription. I really think they wanted to see if I was still alive before they put that much <laughs> money out. I think they really do that, anyway. Um, I started asking the nurses if they had ever heard of anyone who had recovered or even gotten better from IPF. They always said no, there was no cure or recovery from IPF. I was also a member of a forum about IPF, and I got posts almost every day from people from around the world, everywhere, every country you can think of. Um, they were asking questions about themselves or their loved ones. It was sad to hear people go, going downhill with this disease. The progression was always pretty much the same. They talked about the side effects of the medicine, which I would definitely not, I lost 50 pounds in about five months, and I would definitely not recommend that diet. It's a harsh, harsh way to lose weight. Um, and they, uh, sh they would always talk about the shortness of breath, supplemental oxygen they were on, and how they had to keep increasing the amount of the oxygen, the risk and the benefits of a lung transplant. And then you would read from a family member how their mother had died or father died. I asked a couple of times on the forum if anyone had ever gotten better or got completely over IPF. I never got an answer. At first, I read every word from these people from all over the world. Now, Darlene didn't like me reading these messages because she said she didn't think it was good for my mental health. I eventually stopped reading them because it was just too depressing. A couple months later, I called my doctor and told him that I wanted to go off of the medicine that I was on because of the side effects were terrible and I was feeling better all the time. 
he discouraged me from going off but said he couldn't stop me so I stopped taking it I started to, started telling everyone that I believed I was healed not exactly 100% commitment not yet so in November 2021 as you remember we had severe flooding in our county hundreds of homes were flooded in Everson, Nooksack, Linden, Ferndale, and Sumas. So I did some volunteer work with a group called Samaritan's Purse when they came in to help. It was physical work, like removing drywall, carpet, flooring, wet insulation, and destroyed cabinets and appliances. I came home each day. I would tell Darlene that I was tired, but otherwise felt fine. I had no shortness of breath, or any trouble breathing. So in February of 2022, I asked my doctor if I could have some more extensive testing. He agreed and scheduled me for an MRI and a breathing test. After the MRI and before I saw my doctor, the Peace Health sent out the results and the doctor that read in the x-ray said my lungs had the consistency of ground glass. I didn't understand this because I felt so good. Always the optimist, Darlene said, that's even more of a miracle. Your lungs are still scarred and yet you feel good. In other words, you are healed even though your lungs are still messed up. So that brought me back up. I had another breathing test and met with my doctor. This test was easy because I had no coughing. I asked the nurse about my test, and of course she couldn't say much other than that my numbers were better than last time. So I met with my lung doctor, and he didn't quite understand why my breathing test was better than the last two tests, and my lungs are still scarred. He showed me the x-rays and pointed out the damage. He told me he sent my information to an old colleague of his and ask him to review my records because he didn't quite understand what was going on. This is what his old friend said. Well, Donald, maybe sometimes we just get it wrong. I asked him, how could that be? Because of the lung biopsy, that's a proven, I definitely had IPF. He didn't know why, he, he didn't say, he couldn't say. He said he would like to see me in six months and if I'm still doing good, that would probably be my last appointment. He said I would probably go on and live a long and normal life. This is like winning the lotto without paying the taxes that you pay on the lotto. <laughs> so this is coming from a medical doctor. He's, he's a Christian, but he believes in medical science. I mean, this is about as good as I was gonna get from a doctor, the language that he said. Now I believe my story will go on but I don't know how God will use it. Let me sum it up for now. In May of 2022, I went for a week to Lake Charles, Louisiana with Samaritan's Purse and worked on a new house for a person that had her home destroyed with back-to-back -back hurricanes. It was hot and humid, but it's still a great week. Two of the days I was especially thankful for. You see, we worked outside those two days, putting in a lawn and flower beds. It was all done with shovels, picks, rakes, and wheelbarrows. It was miserable. It was miserable. My back was really hurting, 
and I looked like I was having a heat stroke. I uh, took several Tylenol, went in the house, put a cold rag on my face, laid flat on the floor for about 15 minutes and somewhat recovered until the next day when the sod arrived. Now, I'm not crazy for one saying I'm excited about those two terrible days. The reason I'm so glad I got to work outside is because I had absolutely no problems with my lungs. No trouble breathing or shortness of breath. To me, it was another confirmation that God healed me from an incurable terminal disease. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now, there are, there are two main reasons I'm telling you my story. Number one is that I am so grateful that God has healed me that I want to tell anyone who will listen. As far as I know, no one in the world has ever been healed or recovered from IPF. That's big. To me, that's big. I've always wanted a good testimony, but never dreamed I would be healed from a disease that, as far as I know, no one else in the world has ever even lived through. The second thing I want to, reason I'm telling you my story is that I want to encourage you out there not to give up. God is really big. He spoke the universe into existence. He can reach down and hold you in the palm of his hand. So if you are facing a mountain in your life today and you only have a little bit of faith like I did, like a mustard seed. You can start with that little bit of faith. God will take that little bit of faith and help it to grow. So you can start claiming your victory and watch your faith grow. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. And as they're coming, um, I don't know what, what your mountains are out there that you're facing in life or out if you're listening online. It could be, um, could be a relationship with your spouse. Maybe your marriage is falling apart or with your children. Maybe it's financial, like this widow, that, the story we read about who has nothing and the, the creditors are coming. They're sending you messages all the time or they're calling you on the phone and you don't answer the phone because you know who it is. Maybe it's physical. Maybe your doctor said you have cancer or a loved one of you, yours has cancer. Maybe it's your work, your school. I don't know what the mountains in your life are. I do know that God knows. God said he would never forsake us. He will never leave us. Now, God may not answer our prayers the way we want. I certainly didn't think he would heal me of this disease but God can do however he wants to do in your life and God will be right there with you whatever you're facing bring it to him okay so will you pray with me and I'd like to say uh, with every head bowed eyes closed there's a mountain in your life.
and you're overwhelmed with this mountain. You're at your, you're at your end. You're at your bottom. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. I want, if there's anybody here, I would love to pray with you. If you just want to raise your hand, amen, amen. I see those hands. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, you know these hands that went up. Heavenly Father, thank you for healing me. Thank you for your patience with me. There was nothing too big for you to do. I understand that you don't always answer our prayers the way we want. Sometimes we are not healed for reasons we don't understand. I'm just so grateful you chose to heal me. And Father, these people out here and listening online, they're facing huge mountains in their lives. And they feel like they are overwhelmed. I pray that they will turn everything over to you. You told us that you would never leave us or forsake you. Thank you, Father, for your great love. I pray for these folks, whatever they're facing, Lord, as they bring them to you with their little bit of faith and as their faith grows. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful. I am so thankful for this opportunity to be here this morning with these folks. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for listening to my story I don't know I don't know where it's going um, this is the beginning and um, just thank you for being part of it and I feel like I'm speaking to friends um, which makes um, public speaking so much easier it feels like I'm talking I don't I don't I, the word preaching is, is still kind of new real new to me <laughs> this is my first uh, but I feel like I'm talking to friends in my living room. I have a big living room. So uh, thank you all for being here.